and look at Matthew chapter 20. I want to thank you again as usual. It just kind of sounds kind of cheap, but uh, thank you for the the care for me and my wife while we're here. And I've, um, <clears throat> as the weekend ends, I feel tired, but for the right reason. I feel like I've spent what I need to spend in, uh, in uh, trying to minister, and I hope I have been able to. I hope the Word of God's been able to uh, do something for you here this weekend. Matthew chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Uh, Brother Magdalene, would you open in prayer for us? Thank you so much for a chance to come back here this evening. God, it's, been a, it's been a great blessing to be here this weekend and here today and preach your words. God, thank you for the laughter. Thank you for the tears and the joy and conviction and all the things that we've had this week, weekend. Most of all, thank you for the Holy Spirit and preaching your words directly to our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that we have seen and everybody in here has seen revival in our own hearts here. We've got to pray to be with us now as we come to this last message. Amen. Help us to listen, help us to pay attention, help us to be open and uh, ready to hear whatever it is that you would have for us, whether it be difficult or not to hear, Lord, and be with your preacher as he preaches, fill me with your Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this passage is um, kind of a familiar passage. It's repeated in the Gospel of Mark, and when you compare it with the Gospel of Mark, you find that uh, the, the uh, James and John's mother came first and asked the question. And, you know, a mom's love can often be selfish and wanting the best for her children. And you can see uh, her asking for it. But James and John are asking amiss. And uh, they've, they've already been told that they're going to be sitting in his kingdom with him on thrones. And they really have no business asking this. And, of course, James later on, says uh, some things about praying and how you shouldn't ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lust. So I think this is what he may have had in mind when he wrote that passage in, in James chapter 4. Now, that's those, what they're asking here, can we sit one on your right hand, one on their left, that's, that's pretty selfish. Uh, that's that's kind of like we get sometimes, just self-absorbed. Uh, but what I want to point out to you is they don't realize what they're asking for. And that's what I want to preach to you tonight about is you better be careful what you ask for. Uh, we ask a lot of the Lord. And we ought to go to the Lord and ask for things. But you ought to slow down and be careful what you ask for because you might get it. And what, what the Lord told these two is you don't know what you're asking for because something comes with that. 
and you're just looking at it like I'm going to be exalted, I'm going to be right in his right hand, and people are going to notice me, but there's something that comes with sitting on that right and left hand of Jesus Christ. Uh, on top of the fact that, it, according to the scripture, it's already been prepared for someone else. And if you come back to Zechariah, we'll come back to Matthew 20 in a minute, but Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, in verse 1, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left side thereof. If you come down to verse 11, then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now if you look at Malachi chapter 4, And the close of the Old Testament closes with two men's names here. Look at Malachi 4.4. 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. There's the law, and here's the prophets. Verse 5, and behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Moses and Elijah are going to come, and they're going to be sitting at his right and left hand, those are the two, and you find in Revelation 11 what it's going to cost them. They're both going to be beheaded. They're both going to go through that tribulation and end up giving their heads for, to the Lord, and of course they're going to be raised up in, in glory and sit on his right and left hand, but James and John don't have any of that in mind when they're asking for what they're asking for. Uh, maybe they still would have asked if they knew it, but probably not. What we want is we want it without trouble. Uh, we want it smoothly. We want it easily. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, we know not what we should ask. Uh, we, we're not, uh, we don't always know what we should ask. Uh, the, we ought to let the Spirit uh, step in there and kind of take over our thoughts before we just go asking the Lord for something. We know what, not what to pray for as we should, he says. But the Spirit itself uh, beareth our infirmities. And he steps in there to speak up for us, if you give him a chance. And that means some of your prayer should be nothing at all. No talk at all. It ought to just be bound before the Lord, coming into his throne room in the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood and just waiting. And waiting on the Spirit to tell you what you should pray for as you ought. Lord, I want this. Lord, I want that. Well, maybe you shouldn't be asking for that. And maybe he'll give it to you and you'll be wishing he hadn't. Now, the Lord, and I know a lot of Christians don't believe this, but the Lord allowed you, will allow you to have 
what you want if you want it bad enough sometimes, even though it's not his will. I've had Christians tell me, well, if the Lord didn't want me going this way, he'd stop me. <laughs> He's already tried to stop you by warning you. And if he, you insist, he'll say, go ahead, have at it. And he won't stop you. That's not proof of God's will because you, you're still going at it. It might be proof of your self-will and how strong you are. Now, we have great liberty in Jesus Christ. And you can go the way you want. And he says, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You don't have liberty to do whatever you want. You have liberty to serve, to serve Jesus Christ and to serve each other and to love one another. But if you want, you can love yourself. And you can ask things just for yourself in a, in a selfish way. And I'm going to warn you tonight that you better be careful because... One day a call from the Lord is coming, and you're going to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account as to why you insisted on having your way, and why you wanted this thing so badly that you had to ask for it when he warned you not to. And if you're lost, sad to say, if you don't want to be saved, he'll let you go. He doesn't want you to be lost. He's done his part, but the, the God of the Bible is not this wishy-washy uh, thing that you, you press a button and just get what you want from. This, this, I know there's a contrary thought in this age, but you're there for him, <laughs> okay? You were created for his pleasure. He's not there for your pleasure. We're here for his pleasure. And so, you better be careful, especially if you're lost, if you reject Christ, if you wish, you can continue to reject him all your life and end up in hell. And it'll certainly be against his wishes and against his will, but one day death and judgment are coming. And you can continue on, plan what you want, do what you want, go on in this life like you want, and end up an enemy of God forever. Now, if you're a child of God, you know the Lord gives you some warnings. There's a number of different ways he gives you warnings. He gives you warnings in daily circumstances of life. He gives you warnings in the scripture reading. He'll give you warnings in preaching. And he's going to give you a warning tonight. You better be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Now, look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8 and verse 4. <clears throat> in verse 1, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel, and they were pretty wicked boys. And so down in verse 3, or verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. That was a horrible request. Because when they started out as a nation, they're not a nation until they come out of Egypt. They went down as a, a family, as tribes, but they come out as a nation. And he says in Exodus chapter 19, when they come across the uh, Red Sea 
after all those plagues of getting, out, getting them out of Egypt, and they come out into the wilderness, the Lord said, now you're a holy nation unto me. You know what he said? A peculiar people. Different. He's talking to his people, Israel. You're not like the other nations. That's the only nation that's different from all the other nations. All the other nations of this world are as a drop of a bucket, including the good old USA. You're a, you're a, a, a Gentile nation that is likened to a beast. The Lord is not impressed with the United States of America. He likens the Gentile nations to a bunch of beasts. You know what they do? They claw and tear at each other and kill each other. But he said there's one nation that's different. They're not like anybody else. They're always going to be different. And they've proved it throughout history. Now they're saying, they're looking around and they're saying, hey, we want to be like them. We don't even have a king. Samuel, we got a prophet, but we don't have a king. What happens if one of these Gentile nations, we're in the land here, what if this one of these Gentile nations decide to attack us? We don't have an army. We don't have a king that's going to rally our soldiers and and get us uh, protection. All we have is God. We want to be like everybody else. They have a, they have a king. They have a, an army. They have a standing army. They, we want to be like them. And what's one of the most chilling things you'll ever read in the scripture is the Lord gives them what they ask for. And the Bible says in verse uh, five, 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And Samuel gets down on his face and he says, God, look what they're asking for. And it, and it displeased him. It grieved them. And the Lord said, get up and give it to them. Verse uh, 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. The Lord's not sitting there crying. Oh my gosh, why don't they want me? He says, Samuel, get up off your knees and give them what they asked for. They haven't rejected you, they're rejecting me. And you give them what they're asking for. But before you give it to them, you tell them what's going to happen and warn them. And so Samuel's told to go and, and give them the warning in verse 9. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. In verse 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, he gives them a great warning. He says, hey, you want to be like the other nations? You know what that means? Taxes. You know what that means? Your sons and your daughters are going to be used by the government. It means your, your uh, fields are going to be taken, the best of them, the tenth of them, and it's going to go to the government. Governments don't make money. They take money. They steal your money. So tell them what they're going to get. And Samuel gets up there and he protests, and no one listens. You say, I don't believe in street preaching because nobody listens. So what? You're still supposed to protest. You're still supposed to put up a stop sign. Well, I don't know if I should give a track to that person. They're just going to get mad. So what? You're still supposed to warn them. And if they don't listen, that's not up to you. You don't control that. So he said, Samuel, go tell them what they're going to get. And he tells them. But look how it ends up. 
verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Sam, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. And boy, did they get one. They got one that is a great type of the Antichrist. They got a man that did not care about the word of God. He cared about himself. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, or 13 first. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now this guy starts out okay. He didn't want the position. A lot of men start out right. A lot of men start out wanting to do something for the Lord. And then the Lord puts his hand on them, and they forget what happened. And Saul is hiding among the people, and he has to be called out to be anointed king. He wasn't looking for it. But boy, it didn't take long where he forgot where he started. And he got full of himself. And 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Now, he got anxious, and he said, You know what? Samuel's the prophet. Uh, Samuel should be here as the priest offering up this... Uh, sacrifice, but he's not here, so I'm going to make it happen myself. And Saul was king. He wasn't the priest. And so he said, well, I'm going to have it my way no matter what, and he did it. And as soon as he did it, here comes Samuel. Saul didn't care about the word of God. Uh, he usurped the office of the priesthood, and the Lord takes that seriously. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. And verse uh, 18. And Saul said unto Hiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Saul says, Let's see what God has to say. Bring the ark over here, as if it's some magic box or something. And as the priest is getting ready to to try and get information from God, Saul hears a stirring of the Philistines. He said, never mind, just forget that. He wasn't interested in what God was going to tell him. We want a king to judge us like all the nations. Yeah, you got one. He wasn't going to go to the Lord for help. He wasn't going to the Lord for direction. And when he doesn't get an answer, he does whatever he wants. And to make a long story short, he ends up eventually going to a witch. The Lord won't answer him. Well, I'll just go to a witch then. Just a self-willed, unclean spirit. A great type of the Antichrist trying to kill David, a type of Christ. Well, you better watch out what you ask for. You might get it. We want a king to judge us like all the nations. And they got one, and he ended up out of control, ended up a suicide. Hey, we didn't know it was going to end up like that. Yeah, that's just it. That's why you better watch out what you ask for. Because you don't know how it's going to end up. Well, this is what I'd like. Well, why don't you let the Holy Spirit of God uh, uh, guide you in your thoughts, in your prayer. 
You know, I do a lot and I've gotten a habit of doing it. And I learned that from Romans chapter 8 is I go into the throne room and I don't say anything. And I just wait. And I kneel before the Lord and I just wait for impressions on my soul and on my thoughts and in my mind. And I wait on the Lord to get me in line with his thinking. And sometimes after a Wednesday night, we take a bunch of requests and I go to my office and I say, now, Lord, here's this little baby and paralyzed, two-year-old. The other night, that's a request we got. Two-year-old got paralyzed. Glad it's not my two-year-old. Lord, I don't know what to ask for. I'd like to see you heal that little baby. I know you're capable of it. You say, well, I wouldn't even hesitate to ask that. Even if it's not what the Lord wants. You say, "Who? What, you're going to tell me the Lord doesn't want that kid healed? I don't know. I know it's what I'd want. And I'd be begging and crying, and I was crying even though I don't even know the kid. That's what I'd want, but I'm not God. And there's no telling what the Lord might do with a two-year-old paralyzed baby for his glory. But I don't want that. I took my four-year-old grandson out the other day, and I'm sitting there with him across the table, and we're eating, and I, I just almost started bawling, and I hugged him, and I said, I'm sure glad he's not paralyzed. Maybe that paralyzed baby has to be there to soften my heart and to get someone saved and to make you think about some things. You don't know. You ought to be careful. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Get Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 19. Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 19. Let's take uh, John chapter 19 first and look at verse 14. Matthew, or John nineteen fourteen, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. We don't want that king, we want Caesar. Well, what should I do? Crucify him. Well, what, a, what are you going to do? Let his blood be on us and on our children. And boy, did they get what they asked for. They got Caesar. 
And Caesar came in and slaughtered them. And they got his blood on them. And you know what happened? Those disciples went out after Jesus Christ was crucified and he was buried and he rose again the third day. He spent 40 days with them and he said, now you guys go out and you start right here in Jerusalem. You go out to Judea, you go out to Samaria and eventually out to the uttermost parts of the world and you go preaching. And they did. And they started out right in Jerusalem and they were uh, forbidden by the Jews and the hierarchy in Jerusalem to even speak that name. But they did anyway. And they started getting persecuted for it. And the Lord eventually, because of their rejection, eventually turned from Jerusalem and started going out to the Gentiles. And the last chance they get as a city in Jerusalem is Stephen's preaching in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, in a great message, goes through their whole history and shows how way back there your fathers were filled with envy, and that's what you guys are filled with. And the Bible says for envy they delivered them to Pilate. And so he preaches a message to them, and they gnash on them with their teeth, and they throw stones at them, and they kill them. And what happens? Some 30 years later, here comes Caesar. And in 70 AD, the Lord sent the Roman soldiers in there, and they slaughtered and crucified. In, in uh, Josephus' account, 500 Jews a day getting hung up on crosses. Caesar. <laughs> Let his blood be upon us and on our children. And Titus' army came in and surrounded the place and went a, a famine for something like five months. The Jews couldn't get any food. They were literally throwing dead bodies over the wall because of the disease. And they got what they asked for. Thousands and thousands of Jews killed, piled on top of each other with bodies. And Rome came in and plundered the whole temple, tore it apart. Tore down the walls looking for gold. In Rome, you can actually see the depiction of it on the Arch of Titus. And you see the Romans carrying out the candlestick and carrying out the table of showbread. And there it goes. Better watch out what you ask for. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Provided So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What is that? That's a description of the American lifestyle. You asking for riches? You asking for comfort? Watch out, you might get it. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Time for me to retire. I got my 401k, I got my pension, I got everything. You say anything wrong with those? I didn't say anything's wrong with those. But is that what you're living for? Is that what you're praying for right now? 
I remember when the Lord wanted me to get in the ministry and I had to walk away from a job with a pension, with all the stuff. And the CEO of our company came, put his arm around me and says, what, what are you going to do when, it's, when you get older? Trust God. <laughs> and a kind of condescending pat me on the back and says, well, just, just be careful. <laughs> I'm safer doing what I did than staying with that company. I'd be retired. I'd be laying on a hammock right now. With plenty of money. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. I sure am glad I didn't go that route. <laughs> but isn't that what everyone wants? In this country, isn't that how most Americans live? There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with putting something aside. But watch out. When your desire is to just have that so-called American dream, watch out, you might get it. I've got some stuff at the judgment seat of Christ I can't wait to see. I've got some stuff I'm afraid to see. <laughs> but I've got some stuff no one can take from me. And I'm living by faith right now. It's a great life. It's a great way to live. <laughs> Years ago, back in the 1950s, a woman by the name of Grace Metallius up in New Hampshire as a school teacher, barely getting by as far as by American standards, living in a dump of a house, and in her words, a husband and a couple kids, and just despised her life. And she dreamed and had dreams of the Hollywood-type lifestyle and the and the big home, and the mansion, and all that stuff. And she started writing. And she locked herself in a room, just let the kids fend for themselves. The neighbors said they used to have to take care of her kids. And she would drink and write her novels in, the, in her uh, bedroom, in her office, and talk about adulteries, and affairs, and abortions, and all the stuff that comes with that wicked lifestyle. And one day, uh, somebody discovered her manuscripts and they uh, put it into a TV show. And she became rich. The show was called Peyton Place. And it was a series that ran for a while and she got her mansion. And at 39 years old, she died an alcoholic, destroyed her liver. This is what I want. Well, watch out, you might get it. You dream of having enough to buy whatever clothes you want to buy, whatever car you want to buy, whatever house you want to buy. You is that what you're dreaming of? Watch out, you might get it. And throw everything else out that matters. Lose fellowship with your best friend. I've known plenty of Christians have done just that. And you talk to them about the judgment seat of Christ and it terrifies them. You talk to them about the rapture, they don't want to hear it. They're not looking forward to it. They're looking forward to what, just what they've asked for, which is just be comfortable and retire and get along and be rich. Why don't you, why don't you look to some of these guys that go exactly after and receive what you're dreaming of? Would $10 billion be enough if you had it? 
Well, Steve Jobs had it. And as he's dying, you know what he said? At 56 years old, time with my family has no price tag. But boy, wouldn't you love to have 10 billion bucks? Watch out, you might get it. The richest man in the Bible warned, labor not to be rich. Labor, yes. Work hard, yes. Even save money, yes. But don't labor to be rich. Watch out, you might get it. Solomon said, riches profit not in a day of wrath. I have never seen a rich man in a hospital bed with the Porsche in the room. I haven't seen his three-car garage and his mansion there. I haven't seen his stacks of $100 bills there. Watch out, you might get what you're asking for. Jesus Christ said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust can get through. But lay some treasures up in heaven. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with you saving some money right now. I'm, you know I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is watch out what you're asking for. Uh, as, as especially as good as God's been to you, you ought to be laying some stuff up there. I have some investments no one can touch. I have some investments it doesn't matter what Wall Street does tomorrow. <laughs> I don't even look at it. I don't care. You know why? I don't have any money there. <laughs> I've got money where the moth and rust can't get at it. And inflation can't get at it. And deflation and depression, none of it can touch it. Why? Because I gave it to him. And I'm going to get it back. I'm going to see it one day. And you know what? Just like a guy gets in, well, I guess they don't do it anymore. You probably do it all on your phone and your computer. But they used to open the Wall Street Journal and see how their portfolio is doing. I keep looking at how my portfolio is doing. <laughs> it's increasing. I'm adding to it. I want to keep adding to it. <laughs> Reinvest the dividends. <laughs> Let me put more into it. Why don't I drive five and a half, six hours over here and then drive back tonight? <laughs> I want some more investments. I want to put more into it. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I, uh, every once in a while in our church, these little kids come by and they put together some things for me. And uh, boy, some of those things are priceless. And this 10-year-old kid uh, gave me a card and it was written out, uh, signed his name to it. He was either 8 or 10 years old. And uh, it's just so humbling to think that I better watch what I'm saying because these kids are listening. And that kid heard my testimony about how I came to Pensacola and I, ra I was raising two kids by myself and didn't have a dime and the Lord took care of me. And this kid wrote, Brother Donovan came to Pensacola many years ago with nothing and he became rich in the Bible. <laughs> I'd take that over any kind of money or check in that card. <laughs> Hagar the prophet in Proverbs chapter 30 really has it down. Look at Proverbs chapter 30.
uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and look at verse 7. Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. What are they? Remove far from me vanity and lies, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Don't labor to be rich. You don't have to have a ton of money set aside. You need what's convenient for you. Because when you start getting too much, you might get what you ask for. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Demas hath forsaken me. You ever think about what that means? What that man must have seen? being around Paul the Apostle and his ministry, the miracles he saw, the hand of God that he saw firsthand, and he forsook it? For what? For this present world? For what this world had to offer? And I think, man, if I was there in Paul's ministry, would I walk away from that? Well, Demas did. He got to experience the hand of God firsthand. He was right there when Paul did some of those things that we don't get to see. But something, I don't know where it comes from, and we're all capable of it, something crept in. It didn't happen overnight, but something started getting in there and, and, and started getting a little resentment toward Paul and a little bitterness toward the Lord. I don't know what happened, but I know this from experience. It happened slowly. I used to have some people say, you know, Dr. Ruckman is just a man. Duh, I thought he was a god. <laughs> I'm glad you told me he's just a man. <laughs> Why are you saying that? A little bitterness there? A little jealousy? A little envy? Someone, got, someone just said that the other day. Brother Don is just a man. No kidding. I didn't know that. <laughs> Good thing we have you around to let us know that stuff. <laughs> Better watch out. <laughs> Something's happening there. Somewhere Demas started looking at Paul and resented him. Maybe Demas didn't have the power in his life that he wanted, that he envied of Paul. I don't know what it was, but something crept in there, and soon Demas was at a point where he knew more than Paul. And he walked away, and he separated from a great ministry. And soon he no longer desired to fight the good fight. And he said, you know what? This battle isn't worth it. I want to get on in this world. I want to get along. I want to fit in. Watch out! You might fit in. And the Lord might let you fit in. I've known some Christians that have tried to fit in and come back 
with their tail between their legs and said, Brother Donovan, the Lord just whipped the tar out of me and I'm back. <laughs> Good. That's better than leaving you alone and letting you fit in. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Some of you better watch out. You might fit in. The Lord might let you have what you're asking for. <clears throat> and pretty soon, those people over at Bible Believers Baptist Church are just, you know, they're kind of weird. They don't, they don't really, you know, they're just not with it. I, I don't know if I really want them over my house with my family around and watch out. You might fit in with them out there. And pretty soon you'll be saying, I don't go to that church I used to. Better watch out what you're asking for. You might get on in this world and you might get along with them. Because after all, you can still be saved and not fill in the blank, right? You don't have to come to this church to be saved, right? You don't have to listen to that kind of preaching. Watch out. Pretty soon you might fit in. You think of the old hymns we sing and you still sing them here. I hope you keep singing them. Because a lot of churches aren't anymore. And again, that doesn't happen overnight. It happens in little steps. And little phrases start to bother them. And they don't want to sing them anymore. Back in 1989, the Methodists decided to rewrite their hymn book. And the Methodists had Charles Wesley as one of their great hymn writers. And the Methodists got together and they said, we want to be sensitive to women and to minorities, and to the disabled. And so they started changing words. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing is taken out because it had dumb and lame in it. God of our fathers, oh, that's masculine. You've got to say God of the ages. And just a little here, a little there, just a word here and a word there. Wash me whiter than snow is a racial stereotype. You've got to take it out. We would be resisting God, and it's a woman doing this, of course. <laughs> a woman leading the way. We would be resisting God if we continue to use a masculine word for God. And some men let, some Methodist men let that woman lead them. Lead them right to hell. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a... Oh, no, no, no. Can't be using that. That saves someone like me. It's offensive. How deep the Savior's love that he would give his only son to make a wretch his... Oh, oh, you can't say that. You've got to change it. And then it goes so far as to gender neutral and all that hellish confusion. Watch out. You might fit in. All it takes is just a little compromise. That's how it starts out. Demas has forsaken me. How'd you get over there, Demas? Just a little step. Started out with just a little compromise. Watch out, you might get what you asked for. You might be accepted in this world. But oh, what you'll lose. You lose the fellowship of Jesus Christ. But they pat you on the back at work. 
And the family's okay with how you're living now. I've got family members that despise the thought of passing a track out to somebody. They don't even want to be around us when we do it. Even in a store. Well, you don't have to do that, do you? No, you can get along with your family. You can fit in. Watch out, you might. The Lord wants to warn you about some things. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. You better be careful because whosoever therefore will be a friend of this world is enmity with God. You better realize when you start going down that road trying to fit in, trying to be cool, trying to have the fashion they have and make sure you look like them and walk like them and talk like them, watch out, you might fit in. Better catch yourself in your prayer and your desires. I want to caution you tonight. Maybe start spending a little more time when you go to the Lord in prayer. Don't say anything for a little bit. Say, Lord, you know, I really don't know your will on whatever it is. I'm, I, the Lord likes honesty. Lord, I'd like this two-year-old to be healed. I'd like to see this financial problem taken care of. I'd like to see this sickness go away, whatever it is. But Lord, I don't know what you want. So help me to pray as I ought. Because all that matters isn't that I get healed, isn't that I get this financial problem taken care of, isn't that this little baby gets healed. It's that you get pleasure. And I don't know what that entails. So help me to pray as I ought. And how is the Holy Spirit going to make intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered if we're uttering something? It means you have to, some of your prayer life ought to be just quiet and waiting for your heart to get in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, for your thoughts and your desires to be changed into His so that you can pray according to His will. Otherwise, you might get what you asked for. You might get just what you wanted. And you know, I've had some things in my life that the Lord said, no, I'm not fixing that. And now I'm glad he didn't. But that's after the fact. During it, I was begging him to fix it. I was crying for him to fix it. I saw only good in, in my life if he'd fix it. And now I say, God, thank you so much for not fixing that. Amen. I wouldn't be standing here tonight if you did it my way. And I'm glad you overruled my way. Amen. And you know what I learned that, that as a young Christian? I learned, I better watch what I pray for. I better watch out about pushing my way and thinking, I've got this figured out and this would be the best way. I like to have some talks with the Lord where I correct them. I do. I tell them, now, Lord, if you knew what I knew, I do that because it, it's, it's fun. Because <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of how I am. <laughs> Lord, if you had all the information I had, <laughs> here's how it would come out. <laughs> and we get a good laugh with each other. <laughs> and he corrects me. 
you ought to start praying some scripture. You ought to start using scriptural examples in your prayer. Lord, I don't want to be that rich fool. I don't want the end of my life to come, and I'm just living fat and lazy and comfortable and not doing anything for you, but at least I got my, all my ducks in order and got my comfort zone together. I'd rather be without it, Lord, if that's what it means to please you. I don't want the end of my life to say, hey, fool, all over. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. You're leaving all that stuff behind. What you work 30, 40, 50 years for, leave it. Come on up here to the judgment seat. Let's put everything in the fire and see how it comes out. Yeah, that means your 401k. That means your second home, your third home, your whatever. Let's put it all in the fire. See what you did for me. You ought to start praying according to the scripture. I don't want to end up like Demas. I don't want to fit in with the world. Sometimes it bothers me, and it, we're, we're such oddballs as Bible believers, but I'd rather be an oddball. I don't want to fit in. And that ought to be your prayer. Lord, help me not to desire those things. Help me to watch out what I'm praying for and watch out what I'm planning for and watch out how I'm living. I want to go in the old paths. And more and more, I think we're just being drugged away from where we should be as a church, as a body of believers, Bible believers. We're getting so far where we're looking back and even... Dr. Ruckman and these other old men back there, another generation past, look like they're oddballs. Shouldn't be that way. But we're slipping. We're fitting in. Way too much. And I look at some very basic things of the Christian life, and they're being looked down on, and they're being denigrated, and they're being taken away from the preaching in Bible-believing churches. And this new philosophy has come up of how to run a church and how to do ministry, as like they say, like they do lunch, like they do business. Better watch out. The prayer ought to be scriptural. Lord, help me not to love this world. I don't want to be your enemy. Lord, I don't want to be like all the other nations. I don't want what they have. I want to have what you want me to have. Because the time's short. And my time to do anything for them and add to that portfolio is running out. I want it to grow. I want to have something. I don't want to get at the judgment seat of Christ and him say, all right, Brian, let's see. You've been saved 47 years. Let's put it in the fire. Should be a lot coming out, isn't it? You had 47 years to work for me? All right, there, it's burning up. I don't want to get on my knees and start looking through ashes and saying, is there something in there? Is there any kind of, oh, here's one. 47 years? That's what you got? You spent more on sports than on missions? 
You spent more on your cars. You spent more time with your computer, with your games. What's wrong with you? I want a cartload. I want a whole bunch of stuff there. I owe them. I want to say, Lord, I did that for you. I did that one for you. Because I loved you. And there's no question a lot of my life's going to burn. But I want to make up for some of that. I want to have something. And a lot of that's going to come by what you're praying for. And Christian, you better have a real good, healthy fear of God and watch out what you're praying for. Because you might get it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I'd like to pause before you tonight and thank you that I can come right into your throne room and I can even come boldly because I'm your son and you're my father. But Lord, I want to come cautiously in what I'm about to say because the truth is I don't know what to pray for as I ought. So, Father, may your people here at this church be different. Be different in their desires, their dreams, their plans for life. May they not forsake you as Demas forsook you. May they not be as the rich fool. The Lord, how strong the temptation is to just live that American lifestyle and justify it and, and, and just throw it off as God's blessing when it very well could be your curse. Father, the the time is short. And our hearts are so often far from you. Our desires are so often far from you. What we want to do this week could be very far from you. So help us to pray as we ought and to think as we ought. Lord, may we not fall into the trap 
Lord, it just seems sometimes like we have no business even calling ourselves Bible believers. Because it might be just in word, but it certainly isn't in deed. Lord, I love you, and I'm sure I'm glad that even in the wrong thoughts and the wrong plans, I can still come to you. Even in my selfishness, I can still come to you, and I can get light, and I can get correction. I can get things back in line because of your precious spirit. It's always willing to help with my infirmities, my weaknesses. Help me to pray as I ought and to live as I ought. We pray for your blessing and your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.